All right. Welcome to the Law and Business Podcast, the most blandly named podcast out there. <laughs> With me today is Polina Sherlock. Polina, how are you doing? I'm good. And you? I'm well. How, how badly did I butcher your last name? It actually was quite well. All right. Normally, I get something like... <laughs> no, but you did well. Oh, good. Okay. That's because I... That, that, your last name is... is is Polish in nature? It's Russian. Russian. Well, I, I'm yeah. sorry I, that I keep making that mistake. I, I grew up near Our Lady of Częstochowa, which is, um, I believe, a, a Ukrainian saint. Um, so anyway, so I've learned I've learned a little bit about trying to figure out some of the well, <laughs> Eastern Europe. The origin of my last name is the um, Ukrainian Cossacks. Okay. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> Thanks for thank you for the diversion. Uh, Polina is an Australian lawyer and engineer. Speaking of a diversion, uh, <laughs> you started you started your career in the energy sector after having lived in five different countries, working on various investment and projects. Uh, Polina, you saw business opportunity due to lack of specific legal services, and you moved from working with in-house to creating your own niche market law firm in a controversial and challenging business environment in Bolivia in South America. And then after completing your executive MBA from, from HEC Paris with specialization in finance and entrepreneurship, your focus is now on development of financial and operational strategies for business growth. So welcome, because law and business is exactly where you and I collide and intersect. And, and thanks for being on today. Oh, thank you for having me here. Hey, so, so we're going to talk a little bit about, about what you think of as a, an ongoing concern for a business versus a startup. And hopefully our listeners can take away some ideas for thinking about if you're a startup out there, thinking about taking your startup, what do I need to do to be an ongoing business concern? It's a very complex subject and it's a very cu current subject because... As you know, with um, COVID-19, there's a lot of businesses being impacted. A lot sure. of businesses had to shut down. But at the same time, COVID-19 accelerated entrepreneurship. It's accelerated creation of startups. It's um, accelerated people being innovative and creative because of their restrictions. They've been under, they had to think of new ways of doing a business, um, implement changes to keep the business afloat and um, in and even the current customers they change their habits and you had to adjust to these changes in the habits of your customers I, I i completely agree and we completely we, we see that as well we're seeing uh, a lot more trademark applications come through the door we're seeing a lot of patent application inquiries and a lot of people trying to figure out if their invention is something that they want to invest the time and the money to get a patent application in. And, um, you know, that really begins the, one, of the, one of the thoughts. Like, how much have you invested of your own money in your business? Well, before we get into this point in terms of how much you invest, I want to highlight two things. Two okay, go ahead. And the two trends you see in the news is the, the first one, as I said before, a lot of businesses got impacted. There is a discussion in terms of, okay, how you get economy going, et cetera. And people just going, oh, 
private equity. They have lots of money. They have lots of dry powder. Why it's beca it's because of Shark Tank and, and Dragon's Den, the, 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 the TV franchise. I mean, that's really why private equity is very popular today. I will get back to the Shark Tank and the Dragon Den because it's important point um, for the discussion in terms of what startups and businesses need to do and how they prepare to sort of launch themselves and to grow and to get a funds for the growth. Uh, but just to let's get back to what I was saying before. The second trend you see is the it's banks. The basically because okay. a lot of businesses had a bank loans, the banks they defaulting on the loans because they're going bankrupt, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the second trend is saying that um, banks is increasing scrutiny when they're giving out new loans, and that's coming back again. So the people will think, okay, if the bank increasing scrutiny, private equity has money. Uh, lots of money, it will be easy for us to get. <laughs> bank loan? What, what's a bank loan? I mean, <laughs> until COVID-19, nobody wanted to give Verna Law a bank loan. <laughs> but the thing is, is that, I mean, when you start preparing your business, you're analyzing what you have to do. The Depending what is your idea, what is your business, actually the bank loan might be the way to go. Right. Because, for example, here in Europe, uh, we can get personal loads with very low interest, like 1%. Oh, color me jealous. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I'm in France. So uh, our current uh, loan market is the very low interest rates. That's why I'm mentioning the bank loans. Maybe it's different in the United States, but um, for me, bank loan in Europe would be one of the quite um, solid options to consider. Okay. Yeah, I would say I would say here in the United States, that's actually not a very easy uh, uh, avenue to, to take just because it's a personal guarantee. The rate is definitely not going to be that low. And it's basically based upon an idea that the bank has to take a leap of faith on. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> but as we uh, as we probably have like a very diverse audience, I feel like we need to cover different options because Agreed. something which might work in Europe might not work in the United States, but something that works really well in the United States really might not work in Europe. Uh, so basically, we now have this perception that, okay, we might get easy money from private equity. But what you need to think about it is the, how many people thinking it. It's quite a lot of people thinking about this. So the guys who run the different funds, they get a lot of uh, applications. And because they are not in a charitable business. They give money, they invest money, but they want to make return on the money. They're not there to just give it out. No, no, they're not a charity. No, no they're not a charity. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, is that because we do have the COVID-19 situation, we have the more risk. They will be also employing higher scrutiny when they're analyzing the business. Sure. So, and that comes down is that, okay, you have a business or startup, you want to develop it, you want to grow it, you need to prepare for it. And you need to have money to do this. And yes. when you're going to the bank or the P, uh, private equity fund, etc., you need to show that you have something workable in terms of what is your idea? Are you having a product or are you 
developing some sort of digital business or you're developing a platform or you're developing application to meet uh, something, some need that there is nothing exists on the market that can make that need. I mean, that sounds like what is your business plan? Well, yeah. And what is the business plan? And before we even get to the business plan is that we need to differentiate. What is the business and what is a startup? Because did that startup become really popular? Yes. There is a fundamental difference between a business and startup. And I feel like a lot of people actually using a startup to kind of sound cool, but in reality, they just have a business. <laughs> and the fundamental dis- difference between a business and startup is business is you have the fixed product and you have the fixed model to sell the product. You're not testing anything. And the way to illustrate it is the, I don't know, you live in a countryside, you have a lot of different farmers around you and you open a shop to sell the local pharma, only local farming bioproducts. Sure. This is a business because you have defined products behind way to sell. But if you open the same store with those products, but you will be selling it as a say subscription, three tier subscription, you have like um, the basic subscription where every week you can pick up like the basics that you need. You have the big levels that you get some additional items and you have the sort of a luxury thing where you have yeah. um, items. Then you start up because you're not selling it in a normal way. You're testing it to see how many people will subscribe, what's going to be popular or not. Are they going to be happy with the basket? you're proposing or you need to do some adjustments. You you need some extra yoke for your oxen. Not a problem. You're a subscriber. You can come and upgrade once a year. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the fundamental differences. Understood. Get this down. You need to look is okay. I have this brilliant idea for the product. You need to make this product because <laughs> you cannot just turn up to the bank or the PE guys and say, hey, I have this idea. I have this widget that um, I think everyone wants. You need to test. You need to build it. And this is where it comes that you need to invest a little bit of your own money or maybe not so much a little bit, but you need to see. I mean, you need to analyze uh, what would you require to build this product. I mean, if you need to build a prototype, can you do it with a 3D printer? Because there's now a lot of services uh, yes. providing this um, opportunity to do it. Or if you're building some sort of platform to sell items, so you're building up, it's like, okay, you need to hire programmers. I mean, where are you going to be doing a programming and uh, cost of it? And, and I was going to say, what are the costs involved with putting together those prototypes? So, for example, if you're, as you said, a 3D printer, um, but there are services that create prototypes for different industries. Mm-hmm. And, and is that going to be the cheaper way of doing it than getting a 3D printer? If it's software, you're right. Who's going to program it for you? And then what are the legal costs of putting together maybe some of, some of those particular items? Like with software, you got to make sure the copyright goes, goes back to the business. So you have to, to, to consider those costs as well in putting 
sentence together. And this is where I was going to back, get back to the point you mentioned about the intellectual property. And the main, if you analyze why a lot of businesses or startups fail, they fail. One of the major factors is they're failing is that they didn't do enough analysis and verification at the initial stage in terms of, um, first of all, can they protect the idea? Mm-hmm. And in parallel, what if there is this idea already been like issued with a patent? Because if you think of the big um, tech giants, they want to stay in a business and they have a big innovation department and they have a huge army of lawyers who will be filing different patents for the ideas. I, I always say, I always say, welcome to intellectual property. You have to put your big boy pants on now because <laughs> you're swimming. You're, you might be a small fish, but you're swimming with the same big fish that everybody else is swimming with. So, so like for example, when it comes to us, a, a new patent, a new, a, excuse me, a new invention for a patent application, a new trademark that comes in, the first thing that we do on either of that is a search. Why? Because we want to know what big boys are out there with something similar. And this is like, it's an important thing. And it's, a, it's a, like one of the steps where you need to see in terms of you have to put your own money into it and you need to do this research because you don't want to end up in a situation that would happen in the case of Smiley, if you know. <laughs> you, mean the, uh, you mean the smiley face, uh, yellow smiley face? Yellow smiley face, yeah. Yes, oh boy, that, with the tortured history that that thing has had. Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, you know that it's like in the initial design, I think the marketing guy, he got paid 45 US dollars for it, and now <laughs> the French family who are in the business, the millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know, and he's fought very hard to try to get some kind of portion of that, and that doesn't, and that doesn't work. But it's such, it, it's it's something that if it's not generic, it feels generic. So a lot of companies come with some kind of similar smiley face. And then that company is always defending its rights as well. So yes, there is a long tortured history for the smiley face logo. Yeah, but it's just, a, it's a proof the importance of um, like checking and protecting intellectual property. I completely agree with you. Yeah. But this is just a one part of it. Then it's a sort of, okay, you have a product, you kind of find the ways you're going to making it. And then would you also need to think about it. Okay. How are you going to register your company? Like what would be your entity? I mean, if you provoke, if you're thinking of providing some specific service, do you need licenses? I mean, then also it's like, are you doing this business yourself or you have a, partners how are you going to split the partnership i mean and in case of the platforms you have to think especially digital platforms or platform to sell something is like you need to also involve like tax lawyers accountants to see like what taxes you might have to pay and then another thing you have to think is like who's going to be your clients are they just going to be based in your country or it's going to be global. How, how, do you, how do you perceive your business? Because, I mean, you need to be, be very aware of the GDPR, the whole the data privacy protection. 
And basically with this, if you're thinking of having clients from Europe, you need to comply with this law in terms of protect the personal data of your clients. And even though you are based in maybe in US, Canada or South America, if your client's coming from Europe, you have to comply with those regulations. And, and that's going to be very similar here. Uh, if you're in the United States or you're really anywhere in the Americas, you have to make sure that you're complying with California's new privacy laws, yeah. which I'm not going to say line up exactly with GDPR, but I have a feeling that if you're compliant with GDPR, you're probably going to be compliant with California's data privacy laws. Probably. I'm, I'm speculating there a little bit yeah. because there is still a lot of GDPR that kind of sits there and frustrates me every time I reread, <laughs> reread, the, <laughs> reread it. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem is the GDPR. It's even been uh, quite a um, thorn for young companies in, um, in Europe is that from one side, this, this legislation created lots of uh, business opportunities for the lawyers and consultants and for the IT professionals. But then they figured it out. <laughs> they figured it out and they figured out how to make lots of money with it. But then if you're a company and uh, you have to comply with it and you store the data of them, your clients or users, etc. Your clients and users can't use this legislation against you if they're not happy with something and lodge the complaint that saying that you are not compliant and then most likely you will be investigated. <laughs> right, which you don't want. Yeah. And you know, and, and look, it's it's the same in California. And I always point to the fact that I have heard uh, state attorneys general from California sit there, sit on stages and say, California's position is that if you have a website, you're doing business in California. And while that might violate traditional norms of, of, of jurisdiction, that's their position. And until they're overruled by, by maybe the, the U.S. Supreme Court, or even California State Supreme Court, until that happens, that is California's position. And so it's the same issue. It's like, if you're going to be doing business in the United States, you really have to be mindful of what California's data privacy laws are as well. So this is kind of all the points that we covered. It's a sort of, it illustrates what you need to think about it and what you need to cover out of your own pocket before you actually proceed and go to banks or crowdfunding or to angels, et cetera, et cetera, and ask them for more money. And this is why I want to go back to the Dragon Den and Shark Tank, because it, it is an entertaining show, but beside the entertaining factor, if you listen carefully to what the sharks or dragons ask to each, like a startup or business who are coming in, sure. How much of your own money you already put in? How much you already invested? Because they want to see your commitment. Correct. And they see, I mean, how well you thought about things. I mean, and if you tell them, okay, I invested that much, I thought about this, it mm -hmm. actually gives the investor indication in terms of how much you committed, how much you serious about your idea. 
I, I, I completely agree because I, I've, if you're dealing with an entrepreneur who wants to put the due diligence in, who wants to understand what the business is, who wants to understand the competitors, who want, when you have that due diligence, and whether you're coming from your particular angle or my particular angle, because the due diligence will look different, but that is the, the beginning part of, of the success. And then understanding, well, okay, if the product is already out there, what changes do I need to make to make it new? What improvements do I need to make to make it new? And to whom will that actually be attractive as a product that I can sell it to? And this actually comes to the next point that it's important to mention that, okay, a lot of entrepreneurs, um, business, young business and the startups, they make a mistake that they come up with a product, they think it's a great product. And the first testing they do, they do with friends and family. And this is, the main issue is this, that it's a kind of, because it's your friends and family, it's a put them in a situation, a little bit subconscious situation that, okay, they need to support you. They need to be nice to you. <laughs> and you get quite often a false positive feedback. You don't get sort of an objective review of the, your idea. I mean, you might get um, some very direct, I don't know, uncle who will tell you exactly what he thinks, but right. because you will have the majority of the people being nice, you will probably disregard that objective grumpy uncle and you just go, oh, but <laughs> oh my other aunties, uncles, brothers, sisters, cousins, they think they're great. So I will go with it because this group of people thinks great. My friends all encourage me. And that's where you need also invest the money into like professional focus groups, professional market surveys, because they will get a variety of people to try out, to review your product or um, your idea for a service. And during those reviews, maybe actually things you will come, you will come to see the things that, okay, so there's some features that you thought things are great, but no one likes it, but you're missing something. And there's groups saying, okay, well, we would like to see this, this, and this. And this is kind of allows you to improve what you're trying to put out there. And also there is a ten, another tendency that I've seen, especially in my um, alumni group of the HSC, is that the services that try to do it themselves Right. One problem I see is when you try to do your surveys yourself, you accidentally disclose what you're trying to do. Because and you don't necessarily know how to word it correctly. Exactly. And when you, if you're not worded it carefully, and as a person who is um, being nice, filling up your survey seasons, they just go, oh, this person is trying to do this. But... I actually have a connections and I have some spare cash. I will do it faster sure. because I, and your idea is lost. And that's, but when you go to actually the professional um, survey companies, they work with you and they generate the surveys to get that feeling for your idea for the product or service without disclosing what it will be. You, you know, Polina, I'm reminded of a conversation I just had earlier today <laughs> with, with the new client and the, the serve, basically they, they're looking to take their business and have a franchise model around their business. Mm -hmm. 
And so they already have the business. It's ongoing. It's steady. So they have a business model that they can license. But I said on the franchise part, I said, well, how about your furniture? How about your furniture in, in, in your office? Have you thought about that? And they're like, no, why? Well, because when somebody walks into your New York location versus your New Jersey location, they want to know that they're in the same company. And so you want, you want your furniture to look the same. You want the colors to look the same. You want the setup to look the same. It's a franchise. You are licensing not just the trademark, but everything else, the color scheme, the furniture, the look, the feel, the whole deal. And I said, so, so you need to think about that all the way through. And I even said, as much as, I, as much as you have fallen in love with the trademark for your business, I said, it's very, the, the way that it was worded is very regional to the New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia region of the United States. I said, if you're looking to do business outside of that region, I think your trademark is terrible. And that's from somebody who works with advertising. And I said, look, I'm only saying that because, because I work with advertising agencies. And, and, and I can tell you that that's what's going to happen. And I'm, and I'm reminded of another trademark from another client where I said, look, your trademark gives a promise. And so you're going to have regulatory issues with the promise that your trademark gives to consumers. And they were like blown away when I started talking about the Federal Trade Commission and other regulatory issues. Like those were just issues that they hadn't thought about. And, you know, they come here, you know, they come here and I, and I just want to give them that bigger holistic overview of what their business model may or may not run into that they never thought of. That's what it's, it's important to analyze these things. It's important. I mean, Yes, there is a notion that, okay, all these professionals are expensive, lawyers are expensive, everything is expensive, I can do it myself, but it's impossible to do it yourself. And, uh, and this is where it comes. My point is that maybe it's the case, okay, you're starting to do it, this business, you're having your idea. Maybe it is necessary for you to take out personal loan to cover all those fees to have everything kind of iron out and check from the beginning because you don't want to come to a situation that, okay, you have a great idea, you did a hundred presentation to private equity, you had one fund investing 10 million, you kind of opening up your office and all of a sudden you have a knock from the state regulatory body or knock from the, I don't know, Microsoft lawyer saying, ah, but you're infringing our pattern or you're infringing this legislation or you haven't got this license and all of a sudden everything is gone because you didn't do this initial checks. And this is the, it's another factor where a lot of um, like startups fail because they don't invest enough from the beginning to do those checks. And I mean, it, and when you do those checks, it might be the case that, okay, actually my idea will not fly, but then you are, you have a small bill to pay and you right. haven't lost as much and you lost down the road. And, and you know what else, Paulina? I think one of the other, the other items that a lot of, a lot of business owners really forget is that an angel investor venture capital is very difficult to receive. And in a way, it's a, it's a bit of a matching game so that, that if they're hanging their hopes on that, 
it's it's probably a business that's not going to be successful because it's hard to go in that direction. Well, now we're getting to the interesting discussion. Okay, you prepared your plan, you analyzed it, you analyzed your different supply and demand scenarios because this is also important to look at because you don't want to be in a situation where um, you have a great product, etc. You launched it and it just sold out so quickly because it's so great. And then because no one else can sort of get it anymore, then they kind of just go, okay, this is not a serious business, forget it. Right. And you quit. So when you've done all these things, you have all ready, you, you have all this paperwork ready, you have simulations ready, you have your budget ready, you have your different scenarios um, ready, you're ready for the due diligence. And now, and what, when you do all these things, the case could be that the money you need to launch, it's actually maybe not that much. Right. If, if you're doing a sort of a product, and I mean, and if it's not that much to get going, do you need a private equity? Actually, no, you don't, because you can go to crowdfunding. And you have a different types of crowdfunding. Because you can go to different websites and the fees for crowdfunding that they charge is not so much. And sure. um, uh, you can just go for say, okay, I have this great product. Please give me a little bit. And, and, and what I like about crowd, crowdfunding is that your advertisement on crowdfunding websites is a demonstration of the product. Exactly. You show the product, how it works. You hold it up. You, you, you put, put it to the camera. You, I, I mean, this is an, it's an advertisement that frankly is straight out of the 1950s. You show people how to use your product. It's, it's, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of, what kind of graphics you put on the screen. If you're not going to get the crowdfunding, unless you tell people, here's the product, here's how to use it. Here's what it's good for. Here's the solution that it solves. I mean, it's your pitch yeah. is what it is. Yeah, and some great companies and some great products, they've been basically crowdfunded. They just, they invested into the original prototype. They did very excellent videos showing all the features, how it is. They researched and uh, they invested to making sure that product is a quality. And they kicked off and they became very good businesses just through crowdfunding. I mean, one of the examples is a, Backpack that I have that are XD design, the anti kind of robbery, anti pickpocketing backpack. Oh, oh, okay. And it's been done through crowdfunding, and it's a fantastic backpack. <laughs> so, so anti pickpocketing. In in other words, you put your money somewhere in a, in a what? inner kind of funky shelf. Okay. Shell, like a kind of turtle shell, but it looks very cool. And it's got a special stripes that if you're on a bicycle, it reflects light. Mm. And it's sort of inside, it's got a lot of compartment things, but it's just, um, pickpocketing is a big thing in Europe. So it's the way it yeah. sits on your back, it's very difficult to kind of get inside because it's opening from the inside. Yeah. And it's been down for crowdfunding and it's a, like a great product. And because of this sort of a semi-hat shell, you can use it for a lot of things. Like if you're on a plane, you can put it down and use it as a, like a fit rest. I mean, I use it 
a lot of times on a metro as a stand to do my makeup. I mean, right. they didn't put it in a, in a video, but I found this. <laughs> um, and it's a great product. And the companies, they, like, it's grown, expanded. They have more different, they now just backpacks come in different size. They have more sort of fashionable lady mini sort sure. of backpacks. They have things for business, but they did it through crowdfunding. Okay. They basically went to the crowds, they showed the product, they said, okay, give us money. Um, it's a pre-purchase. Yeah, they did this for pre-purchase because you actually have, crowd, with crowdfunding, you have four types. And you can do like a, this kind of pre-purchase, pre-order crowdfunding. You can do really general one where you say, hey, I have a deal, just give me the money because you like me. But you also do, can do debt crowdfunding and you can do equity crowdfunding. Oh. And there is a one company in England, it's a beer company, that they basically, they have the equity crowdfunding. You know, I think I've heard of equity crowdfunding for movies. Oh, that, I didn't, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear about it. That, that movie producers basically say, um, you know, if you'd like to f help fund the creation of this movie, then you'll receive some small sliver of of the, the profits back from the theater once, I mean, now obviously we've got COVID, so that's kind of a dead business model. But, um, but basically people would, you know, if it's a movie idea they like, they buy into it, you get enough people, apart from the usual funding, you get enough people to, to do crowdfunding, and then basically everybody will get some kind of slice of the profits. A little slice, but a slice of the profits back when, when, it, when the profits do come through. Well, apparently the beer companies that I was telling you about, I don't remember the name of it, but um, um, the shareholders meeting is just like a weekend long party with the DJs, except <laughs> <laughs> I think the videos are, it's very fun. <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that those big parties were passe at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm mentioning that um, equity crowdfunding, this is goes back in terms of when you're considering how do you register the business? Because if you're looking to receive the money, you need to think about it. Who is gonna receive this money? You need to have an entity. And when you're considering the legal entity, you need to think about it. Can you actually have that split of equity? Or it's limited in terms of how many kind of shareholders you can have. So it's very important things to consider because when you're planning for like your funding, you need to think if your registration will actually permit you to receive this funding or to have that type of funding. But, but you know, Polina, with, with the crowdfunding, what I like is that people give the money and that's it. It's almost, yeah. it's almost, it's almost just a, a simple transaction. Yeah. Maybe just done it at, at, at a shifted period of time. Yeah. Like unlike your your angel or venture capitalist who is now with you the entire time, and basically they're also thinking about how to get out of the business. That's the very important point because I mean, with private equity, angel funds, etc., people see now a lot of sort of a marketing they see all these sort of a photos of happy founders smiling and saying i got 10 million 12 million etc right. it sounds very nice mm -hmm. and i mean private equity does a lot of good jobs you have a lot of a, like interesting companies that are coming out 
But in order to have this, um, I would call it like a marriage between the startup and a private equity. You've you got a date. Focus... Sorry? I said you have to date before the marriage. <laughs> well, you have to date. You also have, like, we can go into topic of that. I'm going to this, but I think it's bad. <laughs> you can put like a beep. <laughs> sort of date things but you have to enter this relationship with the right state of mind because Agreed. i mean when you're going to private equity or angels you're not going to be in a control and you need to understand you will lose the equity because you're getting money in exchange of equity yes you yes. lose the control and i mean is this are you okay with it or you're not okay with it and you really need to be clear about it. another aspect to consider is as you mentioned, exit. Because when the end business angels or private equity guys, they give you the check or do the transfer to you, the first thing they're thinking about, how are we gonna exit? Sure. And right. the time for, frame for exit is short because they're not a charity. They give you money, <laughs> they want to make money. They want to have a return on the money. And they will expect you to work your yeah. Off. <laughs> you can forget the weekends you can forget the holidays you will need to work because they want to build your company your idea sure. to the exit and the exit would be the, the sales through M&A or IPO or if you are lucky and they really like you and interest you and I think you have a potential they might roll you over to sure. another fund but the first thing they think is about uh, exit. Understood. And you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared that in a three to five years time, there will be exit and nothing will be changing it. And this is mistake a lot of people make. They just go, oh yeah, we have money, we have time, but no, you don't have time. You need to do it and you cannot change your exit. There will be exit. Understood. Polina, any last thoughts as we're, as we're coming, up against, uh, coming up against the time limit? Well, my last thought would be, you need to prepare, you need to think about it, and you need to really understand that if you decide to create a business, if you decide to create a startup, you're not gonna have a safety net that you have if you're working for a corporation. And you really need to think about it. Okay, I'm doing this. I need to be more than 100% vested in it because Am I doing it? And what is my reasons for doing this? Am I doing it for money or am I doing it just for fun? Am I ready to do all these sacrifices? Because in order to do it, it's a hard work and there will be sacrifices and you need to ready for the sacrifices. Polina, thanks very much. How can people find you online? Um, they can connect with me on a LinkedIn. I'm quite active on a LinkedIn. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Very good, Polina. And, you know, if you're on the Verna Law website, listeners, we have some other uh, episodes that relate to this. I've got a video blog on business plan and intellectual property. And of course, our very famous patentability is not a shark tank pitch uh, blog post, so, which you probably should read as well. Read that over on vernalaw.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Polina, thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you're welcome. We'll speak to everyone again soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>